Hey, Don. Hello, Zach. This week, I've got three articles that all sort of talk about conventional wisdom, things that we're supposed to be doing or supposed to be thinking, and yet all of these articles sort of flip those things on top of their heads. Today, I want to talk about donating clothes to charity. I want to talk about replanting trees in areas where there's been a forest fire. And then I want to talk about water and whether or not maybe we are drinking too much. And so let's start with clothes. And I want to talk about donating our old clothes. GQ had an interesting article about what happens to the clothes we donate. And here's the best paragraph I read. Consider only between 10 and 30% of secondhand donations to charity shops are actually resold in store. The rest disappears into a machine you don't see, a vast sorting apparatus in which donated goods are graded and then resold on to commercial partners, often for export to the global south. The problem is that with the onslaught of fast fashion, these donations are too often now another means of trash disposal, and the system can't cope. Consider, around 62 million tons of clothing is manufactured worldwide every year, amounting to somewhere between 80 and 150 billion garments to close 8 billion people. We rarely see the networks of people involved in processing, reselling, and eventually reusing the things we donate. Vast networks that encircled the globe like a ball of yarn conveying our unwanted things to people in places like Afghanistan or Togo or Bangladesh. Like anything we put in the bin, they are sent away. In this case, not thrown, but given. And Don, the article just goes on to talk about what happens to some of the clothes we try and donate. What did you think about this conventional wisdom? Is it a good idea to donate clothes? Well, as always, we have the best of intentions and the, we feel good about ourselves when we take our clothes to the Salvation Army or wherever it is that you donate your clothes. But I think the idea that these could be reworn or reused or generate some money for charity is uh, something we feel good about, but far from the truth. As this article illustrated, it ends up in a giant mound after being sold for 50 bucks for a big bale. Somebody sorts through it and finds the Versace and the rest of it just gets thrown away in the streets of Togo. I mean, it's not, it's not used the way that we want to think it is used. And of course, like all of recycling, we feel good about ourselves. We really shouldn't feel that good. You're right. I mean, the first things we tell kids and even ourselves is, hey, you don't want that anymore, recycle it. Or let's take it to goodwill. And I am just as guilty of that. In fact, this summer, we've been kind of cleaning out our house and taking things to, to goodwill. And some of it will be resold there. But a lot of it, as you said, gets bailed up and sent to developing nations. And they were saying, though, that like every week, there are just millions and millions of garments arriving in developing nations. There's some reselling that goes on there, but a lot of it just ends up either in the streets as trash or in the landfills. The part I found fascinating was the landfills are so full of first world or developed nation clothes that they then sit there, they mix with water and dirt, and they essentially form like a concrete, and they can't even like push down the landfill. They said areas that should be able to hold 30 to 40 years worth of landfill basically get filled up in like three years. Yeah, with all of our clothes. And that's the real, the real problem here is that clothes are so cheap. 
We go through so much. I mean, there's some sort of event. Well, you know this. Any event that you ever participate, especially in Oakland County, Michigan, comes with a T-shirt. You run a race. Here's a T-shirt. We're having a concert. Here's a shirt. Like everybody gets shirts and this and that for every little event they wear once for 20 minutes. And then it ends up in Togo landfill turning into concrete and blocking up their whole system. I mean, it's it's something we should think about. When I run a race often now, I'm like, no, nah, I don't need a T-shirt. I'm good. I, I don't I don't want it. I don't think it's really helping that much. Like if that's you're like, well, well, don't make one for Don. But well, that's it. You're not helping. They still made the shirt for you. I know. I know. But I, I want to be like, no, we don't need any more shirts. I don't need any more, Zach. I'm good for a lifetime. Well, you and I have you know, made jokes about it before, but before every major sporting uh, championship game, they make winning T-shirts for both teams, but we know only one team wins. And then those other shirts go to developing nations as well. Do you think it'd be more honest if the announcers just say, and just remember, folks, the losing team's T-shirt is going to end up as concrete in a landfill in the developing nation? I think we like to think that somebody in uh, Togo believes that Phoenix won the NBA championship and they're wearing that shirt proudly around, but that's not the reality. It's just clogging up their system with our essentially trash. We feel good about it, but it's really just trash. I'm kind of amazed that those shirts aren't like collector's items. Wouldn't those things fetch well on like eBay? Like that newspaper where uh, it's the, uh, oh, who is it? Dewey defeats Truman. Dewey defeats Truman. Yeah, that would be a good one for a history teacher's classroom. This would be some Phoenix Suns NBA champions. Yeah, I, and in a way, it'd be kind of bizarre and great, but I think the number of collectors, I can't even find space in my walls for stuff that I want to put up in my classroom or my house. It's just that there's just not that much that we need. We need less of everything, Zach. We really need to be more minimalist and just have less stuff because that's what we accumulate, stuff. You go to an old house, like a house made in the 40s and 50s, the closets are tiny because people don't have much clothes because clothes were expensive. And if you go to a new, brand new house, they have these cavernous walk-in closets for all these clothes that people are going to fill and never wear. We don't need that much. You are correct. And ultimately, that probably is the solution. Stop consuming so much. But they said that we're currently living in an era of sort of hyper-fashion where the styles come in and they go out so quickly that people are just replacing their wardrobes at even a faster rate. I am personally not one of these people, uh, just still going to Costco and, and definitely buying cheap clothes. But uh, lots of people, I think, just continue to cycle through a lot. And the more you buy, the more uh, that gets pushed out to developing nations. Absolutely. I have way more shirts than I could ever wear again. In fact, I could probably get down to four shirts, four pants, four shorts, and I'd be totally fine with that. Maybe up at the seven so I could do laundry once a week, but I don't need that much. And nobody really needs that much, but that's what we have. We just It's essentially very cheap to get clothing here in the West. It's a small portion of our income and people just get a lot, lot of it. And we probably need to use less and think about where it's going after we wear it once and toss it out after neon day has passed. You talk about how cheap it is to buy clothes, and that's probably one thing that lots of people can afford in some sort of way in our area. Besides the luxury brands that maybe overprice themselves, lots of people can get something, right? And therefore you buy it, you take your other stuff to charity. Again, I think some people do feel good about themselves. Like, hey, I'm giving this shirt another life. Well, 
the majority of them are going to have another life in a landfill in developing nations. The thing I also found really interesting, though, is garment making and textiles are usually one of the cheapest things to produce. It can give a lot of people jobs in developing nations and maybe give developing nations that first rung on the economic ladder of to development. But they basically said during the 70s, 80s, 90s, when people started shipping over these huge bales of clothes, basically 75% of the textile manufacturing industries in developing nations just absolutely collapsed as there was no local demand for locally made textiles because they were too expensive when you have all of these cheap shirts coming in from overseas. Yeah, and again, it's well-intentioned. Like the company will send shoes to developing nations for every shoes you buy. Well, it just erodes the shoe market there and the jobs that somebody would have creating and maintaining shoes there. No more cobbler jobs in Haiti, Zach. We're sending all our shoe. We're sending shoes over there to help the people, but it's not really helping the economy there. I think our uh, we we have all these good ideas, but I don't think the economic reality is the same. I think we should have a tax on clothes. Put an extra dollar on it for the uh, disposal of these things, mm, or a deposit, or something. Just like, like with that. cans, cans in Michigan is a. Um, it's a nightmare for the beverage industry, but cans in Michigan with their 10 cent refund, it, it's a success story. It cleans up the side of the roads. It's good for the uh, environment. It's good for everything except for the beverage industry. I've often wondered why we don't have a deposit on pretty much every material, because I agree with you. I think that would be an interesting way. I think it'd be an interesting way to take shirts and maybe you do have a deposit. I guess the thing would be is what is the best way to recycle a textile or what can you do with it? I do feel like I once saw something on like CNN where somebody was taking old textiles with dirt and water and making some sort of a concrete and then building homes or building structures out of them. I wonder if maybe, you know, maybe that would be something to do with it. Cause obviously you're going to have people buying clothes, clothes do wear down and therefore, like, I guess I hate the idea that we're just dumping it all into a developing nation, but I guess it also cleans up our own streets. And therefore, we just don't have to see it, Don, unless we read depressing articles like this. Two thoughts, because you covered a couple things there. One thought is when you buy a new car battery, they give you a core fee. And if you return your old battery, they give you 10 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever it is. And that means people bring back their old battery to their go to the store and then they get their money back. And that works. And we should do that with other things, more things for sure, just like the cans. Two, you can buy recycled jeans that are used as insulation. When my buddy redid his basement, he bought a bunch of this insulation that's just shredded jeans. And they're putting it as a sound insulation in between the uh, finished basement and the upstairs. So there is something you could do with jeans. I don't know about the rest of it, but definitely with jeans. Right. And I, and I, I would assume there's small programs out there. It's probably hard to, in mass, collect all this stuff. Or is it one of those things where it's just cheaper to make new clothes and not actually have to go through the process of recycling old? Because there is quite a lot of cost in probably chopping all that stuff up and recoloring it and reappropriating it. And, and as you're saying, maybe that's part of the problem is just it's just still too cheap to manufacture. I guess it's just one of those things where the reality is the first world or developed nations have found a way to get rid of all of these clothes. 
but they do end up somewhere and not necessarily being worn as there's just a tsunami of used clothes being taken to these other places. One of the things I found interesting was there is a, it was a local word in Ghana. It's like on the door of one of these areas where they're, they're reselling clothes. And the word was dead white man's clothes as all the people in this area essentially just couldn't believe the waste coming from developed nations. And they, they thought maybe somebody had died when really it's just what we're not using anymore. Yep. Well, I guess my final thought on this then is back to championship t-shirts that are out there that of people that never won. Do you think our good friend Kevin Kopeck would like a 1992 Detroit Lions NFC championship t-shirt? I don't know. I, I I struggle to understand the world of the Lions fan. Kopech would probably enjoy that. He wouldn't display it on the wall. He's star- soundly a conventionalist, so he would not enjoy that, I don't think. That's fair. Well, that's one piece of conventional wisdom is we should be recycling shirts, and clearly there's another cost. Another one comes from the San Francisco Chronicle. And this one comes with sequoia trees. With climate change, things are getting warmer. And all of a sudden now we've sadly had some major forest fires in some national parks with some of the oldest trees in the world. And the national park wants to replant some of these trees. And yet there are a lot of environmental groups that are really against it. And so here's the best paragraph I read. Officials at Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Park say that with nearly a fifth of the world's sequoias wiped out by flames since 2020, planting tens of thousands of sequoia seedlings is necessary to ensure a future for the planet's largest and now threatened trees. Using mule trains, helicopters, park officials hope this fall to begin putting seedlings in the recently blackened and barren ground where 300-foot sequoias thrive for thousands of years until California's increasingly menacing wildfires became too much for the giants. Some of the new trees will be grown from seeds outside the area to try to make the groves more genetically diverse and more durable going forward. Sequoia is our park name. It's an iconic species, Krista Brigham, Chief of Resource Management and Science at Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks told the Chronicle, without intervention, we will have unprecedented loss of Sequoia's forest. Not everyone, however, is on board with the plan. While no one wants to see the demise of the cherished conifer, the idea of recreating ancient sequoia forests as federally designated wilderness is not universally popular. Even within the science community, there is doubt about whether the massive planting should proceed on cherished wildlands due to fears that it could make matters worse. Some environmental groups are are working to stop it. And Don, this article just kind of goes on to talk about the idea that sequoia trees Some people want to stop the planting. What do you think about this article? Well, largely, it doesn't matter too much to me because I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, the schism is that some people think that you should actively plant, replant these trees. Others say that nature should take its course and things can grow as they would normally historically over the area that was burned, correct? Yes, yes. And the, the, the environmentalists just want nature to do what it does. And even, Zach, if I lived to 100 years old, and that would be very old, in 53 years, they would not be that impressive. I mean, it's just not going to make a huge difference in my lifetime. It's hard for me to get really fired up about this. 
I mean, maybe my kids, 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 kids can see giant sequoias again. It seems like a reach, Zach. I'm not sure I care that much. Really? I'm surprised at this. I would have thought you would be all about the sequoias. You're a California guy. I would assume you've been to Sequoia National Park, right? Yeah, I, I've seen sequoias. They're really cool. But at the same time, it just it they're, they're cool because they've been there for hundreds of years. I don't know what the world's going to look like in 500 years and whether or not it's really worth all the hand wringing here. I feel like we should put our efforts into something else. They are 3,000 year old trees and they've been here a lot longer than you and I. Sadly, in the last couple of years, in 2020, there was a major fire that, you know, took out about 10,600 trees. 2021, we lost nearly another 4,000. And Basically, they just say, look, it's it's part of climate change where it's just hotter and drier out there. Normally, these trees have such thick bark, they usually are fairly immune to fire. But they also just said the way the forest management system has been set up is we have forests that just have a high density of trees, which are leading to some of these big forest fires. And therefore, nature kind of has its own way of sort of letting the trees grow again in ways that maybe aren't as dense. And therefore, that seems to be why a lot of these environmental groups want to prevent people from just replanting. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand. And it just seems like principle matters more to some people than others. And I'm the National Park Service has so many projects lined up. They got billions and billions of dollars of projects that need to be funded and completed. I just don't think this needs to be high on their agenda. They could fix the other things that are piling up of need. So you're out on this. Out. Are you angry that the National Park Service wants to replant the trees, though? Uh, no, I'm not. I, don't, I, I think it's not essentially a great use of resources, but I'm not at the same time really upset about it. I think we could just let this one slide. It's interesting because it goes into a philosophical debate about what is wilderness. And again, the natural groups like the Sierra Club and the John Muir Club, they're like, look, wilderness means something that's left untouched. And therefore, if a forest fire has gone through, that is a natural occurrence. Let nature just sort of replant itself and figure it out. Sequoias basically have a pine cone that only releases the seeds for new trees when they've been torched by fire and they're like there's already thousands of seeds out there there are already little sapling sequoias that are growing the national park service said though hey these little baby trees are going to have to compete with other scrubs and other sorts of growth that are in there and they might get you know kind of uh, boxed out of, of sunlight and therefore we might not have these trees anymore this is a major part of the forest it's our job to protect it don i'm concerned that you just don't seem that interested in this you're absolutely right. Let's just let this one slide. Let's, let's start, you're going to ask me at the end, what's the least important of these three we're going to talk about? This is the least important. It doesn't matter that much. Too much hand-wringing and thoughts going into this. If they are planted by people actively, cool. Maybe a little less genetic diversity. That seemed to be an issue in the article. If they just are planted by the trees releasing the seeds due to the fire, cool. Again, maybe it'll come back. Maybe it won't. It just, it's its done. It's a sunk cost, Zach. These things are gone. We can't make them be back in our lifetime or anybody's lifetime that we can even conceive of. 
I wish I could get the clip from Rocky Four when Ivan Drago says, if he dies, he dies. Because I feel like that's what you're doing right now to the Sequoia trees. You just, I, I, I would have thought this would have moved your needle. I've never even seen these trees. And I feel like I have more of an interest in whether or not they're going to be here or not. Yeah, but they're gone. Why are we upset? I mean, I'm upset. it's sad that they're gone. I'm, I don't want them to be gone. But I mean, what do you do now? You just move on to the next step. I mean, it is what it is. Well, you got to pick a team here. Are you on Team National Park? Yes, we got to replant some. Or are you with the Sierra Club and the John Muir Club, who are usually about protecting the environment? And it's just interesting to see them come out against the idea of actively trying to plant trees. Okay, let's not actively plant them because we can spend our time and money doing other things. Okay, then I have one more question for you. In the last couple of years, it seems like we've got other people that are interested in bringing back the woolly mammoth and the dodo bird and other animals that have gone extinct. Are you more interested in trying to bring back extinct animals or planting sequoia trees? Extinct animals would be more interesting. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. I, I'm a little conflicted on wolves. I mean, I like the wolves coming back to Yellowstone romantically. I think the wolves are pretty cool. But if there are packs of wolves roaming where I lived, I'd be afraid that I'd be eaten while I'm going for a run. I'd have to buy a weapon. I'd, it's just, I'd have to carry a weapon while I run. I'm just not interested. Um, but wolves are still kind of cool. Woolly mammoths. Yeah, all right, great. I, I don't think the dodo bird matters anymore. Kind of like pandas. They don't belong around in this world anymore. They're not efficient. I, I guess I would just say I'd rather try to get the tree thing going uh, these animals obviously couldn't cut it the first time they were on earth, whereas these trees are still here. Maybe there's a shot, but, but I, I guess, uh, we'll have to see. And, and you're right. You do bring up the interesting point of by growing some of these in nurseries and then introducing them to the forest, there is sort of a, an amount of genetic engineering going on. And as always, there's unintended consequences that might come with this, um that that maybe we don't know of and maybe we do need to be uh, concerned about yeah fair enough the other thing i'll just say is i think they're going to spend about 4.4 million dollars on this re uh planting project and then they are going to do a longitudinal study don you and i like longitudinal studies it is set up for 30 to 40 years of monitoring to see how well the growth is going so that puts us in our 80s basically when they're going to be done monitoring and i'm you know these trees are probably still just barely even growing at that point i i admire the person that's thinking with that window last question what's more impressive a redwood tree or sequoia i've never seen either uh, i think redwoods are more impressive why is that they're red okay well last one water you need it to live don However, everybody currently in the conventional wisdom seems to be pushing water all the time. And yet people are starting to ask questions. Are we drinking too much or what exactly should be drinking? And The Atlantic had an interesting article about this. And here's the best paragraph I read. Today's hydration zeitgeist seems to hold that no amount of water is too much. The market teams with intake tracking smartphone apps and timestamps bottles that cheer drinkers towards hydration goals as high as a gallon a day, a quota astronomical enough to be stressful, even dangerous 
should people flood their bodies all at once. But America's hydration hype machine has established a narrative that we are all walking around dehydrated and need to drink more, Hugh Butler told me. It's no wonder that some people have reported legitimate anxiety over failing short on water intake. And Don, this article just goes on to talk about water. Are we drinking enough? What'd you think about this one? I thought this was kind of interesting. I've read a lot about this. I try to focus on hydration myself. I think it's more about drinking water instead of drinking other things like energy drinks and coffee that'll dehydrate you. And if you get enough water, at least if I don't get enough water, I get a headache. I feel tired. I don't feel very good. So getting water is I need to know the symptoms and start to get more water and get water to solve the symptoms. Because if I'm tired, I want coffee, but I need to drink water. And so it's something that we kind of stress around our house, especially to our boys who work out a ton and need to focus on recovery and water is important. That said, there's also a thing where you can overhydrate and people get sick and die from it. And especially it happens in some distance races where people are told to drink, 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 and people get overhydrated. And the symptoms of overhydration are the same as dehydration. And they lose dizziness, vomiting, stuff like that. And if it's treated wrong, they give them more water which decreases the sodium levels in their blood and their heart stops pumping because it can't get the signals because the sodium in your blood acts as a signal to your cardiovascular system, or at least that's my understanding of it. And so drinking water is good. Constantly being obsessed about it's probably not right. If I we focus on with our children, if you're peeing fairly often and it's not yellow, then you're doing pretty good. And I think that's what people should think about. If you're peeing every 20 minutes, you're probably drinking too much. If you're feeling anxious about it, you're probably drinking too much. If you're peeing dark yellow, you're probably not drinking enough. Do you think we are living in an age of a hydration kind of hype machine? Because you and I have joked about it. Every kid in public school now has their own water bottle. I spend half my time, I feel like, allowing kids to go get more water or how they now have to go to the bathroom because they've been drinking water all the time. Or I get always five water bottles that have been left behind in my classroom. And therefore, like, you do feel like it's kind of promoted to people that you should always be having water and drinking it. And I could kind of see where maybe we've maybe gotten a little out of whack on the priority uh, scale there. Well, there's two issues here. One, every parent needs to put their kid's name on everything they own through high school, maybe on to college. Everything needs a name. <laughs> kids leave stuff behind the classroom all the time. And you're just guessing like who wears a size medium black coat? Oh, wait, everybody. And so you need to put names on it because kids are irresponsible, will lose things. And if you know the name, you can get it to the kid. But if you don't know the name, you're just like sitting there with this six water bottles and two jackets hanging from your in your room forever. Second issue. Yeah, maybe we're worried a little bit too much about this. I don't know. I see a lot of kids that are just pounding energy drinks and protein, and they're probably not drinking enough water. But then there's other people that are just taking water like there's no tomorrow. And like you said, constantly going to the bathroom. I, I don't know where this lies. Probably, as with all things, the things people are concerned about the least are not doing it right. And the people that are overly focused are probably doing it too much. Everybody needs a little bit of moderation. And uh, in this case, I think that's the case here. But your water bottle can be virtue signaling. And you could use an environmentally friendly recycled type water bottle or it can signal your wealth if it's a Stanley water bottle or a Hydro Flask or whatever. And so there's a lot there to... Uh, unpack. It's not just about drinking the water. 
Right. And that's the problem. It's a waste thing. They said in 2016, water became the leading bottled beverage in America. As you're saying, the status thing uh, then became came to have like a really nice water bottle. I remember when I was in college, it was about Nalgene and now it seems Hydroflask, Yeti. I feel like every conference that you and I go to, somebody's giving us another free kind of water bottle to, to carry stuff around. And it's not that that's a bad thing, but it's just that it's all waste. I mean, there was something called a drinking fountain and you could just go to that if you were thirsty. But the idea that you had to carry around the water with you just seems to have like seeped into like who we are as, as human beings now. The myth back in the 70s and 80s, somebody just sort of tell, started telling everybody every day you need to drink eight, eight ounce glasses of water. And basically, scientists cannot actually decide if that's even um, useful or not. But people believe it, so they just start guzzling. Well, you and I are larger humans, and we probably need to drink more than that. And we're married to smaller humans who probably need to drink less than that. So there's not a constant. And also, some people sweat a lot, and some people don't. I, I, I don't think there's a hard and fast rule that really everybody needs to follow and be paranoid about. But you're right about that. And a drinking fountain, I I didn't have a water bottle that I carried around with me until, unless I was going to a track meet, until after college. I remember looking for drinking fountains often and being very excited to find a drinking fountain, but I didn't carry one <laughs> around and I survived thus far. Maybe I'll die an early death because I didn't drink water enough between 14 and 22. But our bodies are pretty resilient at that point. It's not till we get older we get so fragile. But uh, yeah, I, I, it is something that's just a little over the top. There are too many water bottles made. We're probably sending them to Togo where they're not recycled and they clog everything up. I know that you and I are given crappy water bottles all the time at various events, and I'm pretty much done with them immediately. I want them to toss them in the trash instantly. If I take them home, they linger in my cabinet till eventually I recycle them, quote unquote. So yeah, it, it's too much. We I have one water bottle. I've been using it for about eight years. I'll continue to use it. It's all good. Same thing with my wife and my two sons. We, we each have a water bottle we use and like seven in the cabinet. Nobody had a water bottle in the 80s or 90s. The only thing I can remember is one, a couple kids had a water bottle for their bike. It was like you you put a water bottle in the water bottle holder of a bike. And that seemed socially acceptable. But nobody would ever carry a water bottle with them. And then if you really were kind of trying to make a statement, maybe you went to the Army-Navy surplus and bought a canteen. Ooh, the canteen. I had one of those. Like, But that, that seemed like you were going off to war. So it seemed like an appropriate use to have water for you there. But the idea that you're going from your house to the school or from your house to Meyer and you need to carry water with you just seems a little over the top. Agreed. But people get in the habit of sipping on their water and it's probably better than sipping coffee or uh, Red Bull or whatever. And they just my mom carries a water bottle with her pretty much everywhere she goes. I don't think she empties it more than once a day, but she takes a little nip now and again. Uh, I, I guess so. It's just, maybe it's full of gin. I don't know. It's full. It's, it's just an interesting habit now. I mean, I think I've, you know, told you this before, but like, I, I think back to like when I went to school as a kid and at lunch, I had a high C ecto cooler with uh, the Ghostbusters oh, Slimer on the, on the cover. 
And I think that was the only liquids I consumed for maybe 12 or 15 hours. And, and I had like a peanut butter sandwich. I had to like, you know, really get some things down and I made it done. Yeah, I remember hitting drinking fountains a lot. Very excited to go get a drink. Um, there's a drinking fountain in the back of the classroom. But you did make me remember, I did have a Cub Scouts canteen, which yes. was kind of the shape of a giant pita bread. It was like, <laughs> it was not good to drink from. There's nothing about it that was good. But I, I, that it was like a, we're camping, we're hiking, we're really doing something. But yes, you're, you're right about that. The water bottle emerged, I think, in the late 90s and in the athletics world. And then, of course, we're all shadowing everybody else. But I think when I was, we didn't really own water. We wanted Gatorade. We want to be like Mike, get a Gatorade in a glass bottle. Yes. Well, they and they did say that, that Gatorade actually might be credited with being the first to market into the American psychology that we were dehydrated. And yes. you realize just how much of our behavior is is based around marketing and, and kind of false sciences to the point where it becomes conventional wisdom. And again, as you're saying, it's not like it's bad to drink water, but the idea that we have it in our subconscious all the time that we should be drinking water, I just think is interesting. One of the points they made in the article is if you're just somebody who hangs out inside in air-conditioned rooms, you probably don't need to drink that much water. No, I would, again, focus on what's coming out of your body. If that looks right and you're feeling right, then you're probably okay. It depends a lot on the person and the environment. And when we were in the desert and working outside for like a track meet all day, I just pound water. And you'd be, you'd be thirsty and feel like you need to drink. I mean, it gets, people need to be aware of their bodies, I think, Zach. There's a lot of people that aren't aware of what their bodies are going through and just trying to reflect on what's happening and how to solve that problem. That's a good point. I, I just thought the article was sobering when it just said most scientists have not really agreed upon how much water or what the minimum amount of water is. Even from health-wise, they do say like they've seen positive results with like kidney stones, UTIs, weight loss by drinking water. But in terms of like heart disease, cancers, and other sorts of health ailments, they're not really sure if being hydrated is, is helping or not. Yeah, It'd be hard so, to do that research. Could you do a double blind procedure or assign some person to drink and not drink? That wouldn't be double blind then. It'd be again, a, it'd be a challenging research study to do. And probably not very ethical to have one person not drink much water and one person drink a lot of water and then compare them. Maybe a twin study. It doesn't sound like it's going to pass a best, an ethics board. No. And, and probably at the end of the day, just like drinking water is fine. I, I, I guess though, maybe we don't need to make it a national obsession. Fair enough. Well, Don, those are three pieces of conventional wisdom. Where do you stand as the one that maybe you're ready to turn your back on? Is it donating clothes, replanting uh, the trees of the sequoias, or drinking too much water? Which piece of conventional wisdom maybe uh, do you reject? Uh, I, it's got to be the clothes that, you know, feeling good about donating your clothes and uh, that that is something that's going to be really make the world a better place is clearly not not the case. Yeah, I, I think that one is is definitely winning, given that I'm somebody who, again, has to do a lot of water bottle management at school in my day to day. I kind of like the idea that maybe we should pump the brakes a little bit on just drinking water all the time. Yeah, but if it's making people feel good and they're getting healthier and they're uh, 
working out more than more aware of their bodies, then sure, why not drink some water? What's it's harming? How important is the class that they're missing, Zach? Do they not know what the wheel is anymore? No, it's not that they're missing class. And I'm sure they're still figuring out that Sumerians made the wheel. I just, every day I've got like six water bottles that just sit in my room. And I'm like, does anybody want this water bottle? And even kids look at it and they're like, yeah, that's mine. I don't want it anymore. And it's just, it's generated a whole industry of waste. It really bothers me when I see water bottle filling stations that want to brag about how many plastic single-use water bottles we've <laughs> saved. Because I really feel like we spend more energy making the hydro flask. I just would like everybody just to say, hey, drinking water is important, but let's pump the brakes on it. <laughs> you sure Fair I can't enough. sell you on saving the sequoias? No, you could save them or not. Like, it's not really going to make a huge difference to me. What, How the methodology of which trees are replanted and regrow, I got bigger problems, bigger fish to fry. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, uh, these were all sort of interesting things. I'll post links to all of these articles. And Don, it's been a pleasure talking to you this week. I look forward to talking with you next week. Absolutely, Zach. Have a good one. Take care.